Thank you for listening to WWCU. Today we are talking about the election, of course, in a nonpartisan way. With me, I have Dr. Christopher Cooper, who is the department head of the political science and public affairs program here at Western Carolina University. Thank you so much for being on with me today. Yeah, happy to be here. We're going to jump right into this. Um, of course, this is happening right now in all of the headlines. So tell us, how has this election process been different than other elections you've observed? You know, I mean, obviously the volume has been turned way up, um, right? So if you're a Spinal Tap fan, I think we are we are up at 11 at this point. Um, but, you know, much of the way the, the election has worked has been similar to the past. I mean, in some ways, our election patterns have been remarkably stable. Um, obviously, the big wrench that's been thrown in is that the president has not uh, conceded. Um, so at this point, we've had George W. Bush. We've had Jeb Bush. Heck, all the Bushes, I think. Uh, Dan Quayle. They've all said, called uh, Biden and congratulated him on being president-elect. The Associated Press has called the election for uh, for Joe Biden. And so according to Associated Press rules, if, if you're – a media outlet following the Associated Press, and you need to refer to to Biden as the president-elect of the United States. But at this point, the president of the United States has not conceded the election. So we're somewhere in between what we saw in 2016 and the uh, and what we saw in 2000 with Bush v. Gore, which obviously extended for a good bit longer. Would you say that the things that are playing out right now will affect how we teach about elections? Yes. I mean, the one of the big changes this year in, in kind of the way I teach has been to remind us that uh, election administration is key. And so what I mean by that is the way in which we conduct elections, how many polling places we have, um, how do we train poll workers, what do the machines look like, how do we count votes, what are the deadlines, all these administrative details that are incredibly important. And so since we're talking to folks at Western, I'll, I'll put in a little pitch and say I'm next semester for our graduate Master of Public Affairs program. I'm actually teaching a class in election administration to respond to just these issues. That's fantastic. So this is something that is growing and changing, you know, as history happens right in front of us. That's exactly right. So as you mentioned, Biden is the president-elect. How do we go about, and I say we, but, you know, like media sources, all of these electoral processes in each state, how do they go about confirming that? So uh, we're talking on November 10th. And so the final ballots in North Carolina will be accepted on the 12th by 5 p.m. So as long as a ballot is postmarked by Election Day, and accepted by the 12th, or received, excuse me, by the 12th, and it can be accepted. And so even yesterday, we saw over 1,000 ballots get accepted in North Carolina. About 60% of those were from a single county, um, Iredale County. There's reports that Wake County is going to look at about 5,000 ballots today. So we're going to continue to accept some ballots. Um, that probably will not affect the presidency or probably the U.S. Senate race, but it could absolutely affect some offices, like, for example, the Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme court, which only has about 2,500 ballots that are separating the top two candidates. It also could affect the results of our attorney general's race. And it could theoretically, although it's unlikely to, affect the outcome of the president and the the U.S. Senate races. So we'll accept those ballots on the 12th. On the 13th, we will have county canvassing, which is essentially the process that happens every election where each of North Carolina's 100 counties, which are really the folks who are doing the work of elections, uh, kind of make final counts and make final decisions about what is actually certified and accepted and which ballots are not. Um, 
there'll be a state canvas as well. And then at the presidential level, we will have the electoral college meet in uh, December. And so that's when all the different states electors get together and they cast the votes that went, uh, that support the majority, the person who won the majority of the votes in their state. The two exceptions to that rule are Maine and Nebraska, which have a slightly different process. Um, and then in January, we will swear in the new president of the United States. So there's still a number of steps to go before uh, everything is finalized and everything is signed and sealed and delivered. But it, it does look like we are headed in the direction of President-elect Biden taking office in January. And while we're in this about the Electoral College, about voting, what legal action can the Trump administration take regarding votes? You know, so he is there's, I believe, seven lawsuits that are currently outstanding, and those vary uh, in exactly what he's arguing. Um, in some states, he's essentially arguing to keep counting. In some states, he's arguing to stop the count that was conducted. So it's a different argument in each state. Um he certainly has the the right to bring these lawsuits. There's no question about that. Um, there, people are much more circumspect about the probability that he will be successful with these lawsuits. Um, at this point, it is mostly out of the hands of uh, of the candidates. And again, it does appear that uh, that that Biden will is the president elect of the United States and will be sworn in in January. And it's very very unlikely that anything that happens will change that. Would you say that you noticed any shifts in South and North Carolina in this election? You know, North Carolina um, and South Carolina appear fairly stable. So, again, I mean, this was an exciting election. It was a nasty election sometimes. There were um, you know, all sorts of issues that came up. But in the end, it was it was remarkable stability. In our General Assembly in North Carolina, the, the Democrats gained some seats in the Senate and lost some seats in the House. Um, we still have a Democratic governor. We still have a Republican senator. We narrowly voted for a Republican candidate for president. Um, it's too early to know exactly where we'll fall. I'm guessing we're going to be uh, the sort of the bluest red state in the country again. In other words, of all the states that voted for Trump, I believe his margin will end up being the smallest in North Carolina of any of them. Again, too soon to know for sure. But the point is, we're neither a blue state nor a red state, but a state somewhere in the middle. South Carolina, we saw some, you know, obviously it's not a purple state. Um, it is a much more red state. And we saw, again, remarkably consistent voting patterns. The um, Lindsey Graham was able to, to pull out uh, the victory over Jamie Harrison, despite Harrison's massive fundraising advantage. Um, and maybe the most notable departure change in South Carolina was in a congressional district over in the Charleston area where a guy named Joe Cunningham was a Democrat who was defeated by a Republican named Nancy Mace. And so that became a very uh, prominent race nationally, and that one was a little bit of a surprise. I think most folks felt like Cunningham was going to be able to pull that out, and he was not. There were a lot of things that we, I feel, saw coming completely. We're like, okay, we're sure about at least these people. And then everything got mixed up. So I would agree this was definitely a an election worth watching, right? Like almost, <laughs> we compared it to like a soccer game. It was just so fast moving. Everything changed so quickly. Yes. Yes, it did. That's exactly right. And I More also- points on the board than soccer though. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And I, I love that you call North Carolina a purple state. That's- Fantastic. So moving into, you know, more about the president-elect Biden and Pre Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, what short-term changes can we expect to see under a Biden-Harris presidency? 
That's a great question. Um, and obviously, time will tell. I'm expecting a flurry of executive orders, um, both to close out the Trump uh, presidency and then to start the Biden presidency. So I think we're going to see a lot of executive branch action um, that occurs very soon and again right after Biden comes into office. So I would expect some changes on um, Paris Climate Accord. I would expect some changes on international partnerships. Um, I would expect some changes from Biden on uh, on Dreamers. I think we're going to see some high-profile changes come fast and furious once he is sworn in office. And then on that same note, we have to talk about Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. How is she shaping history right now? You know, clearly, I mean, this was uh, in some ways the the headline, the the, the historical moment, right? So we have the the very first female to serve in, uh, in, in as the vice president of the United States. And so this is obviously a huge moment. She's also the first African-American uh, uh, to ever serve as vice president of the United States. She's also uh, the first Indian-American to ever serve as, as president of the United States. So, I mean, she is uh, making a whole lot of first at one time. Um, again, this is somebody who's got um, you know, extraordinary political experience. She was attorney general of the state of California. She was United States senator. She, of course, ran for president but pulled out um, fairly early in the process. Um, I would expect her to be um, a, a powerful vice president. Clearly, Joe Biden, as a former vice president, understands how to treat a vice president um, and understands how to give them important roles. And I would expect Kamala Harris to be the exact kind of person that takes this on. Yes. And seeing that coming from many different backgrounds, I mean, she is the epitome of what America is as far as the melting pot that we claim to be. So I'm definitely, as a woman, of course, very excited to see history be made in this way. Um, and as we talk about them two as a duo, what can we expect for longer term changes? So we have the short term executive orders, but as far as a longer term, four years and even beyond, what can we expect? You know, I mean, this is a great question, and, and of course, we don't know exactly what the answer is. You know, if we're trying to read the tea leaves, I, I think Joe Biden is um, a creature of Washington, and and usually that's meant as a, as a negative, and I really don't mean it that way at all. What I mean is that he's been in the United States Senate, of course, for you know decades, and understands how policy gets made in Washington. Um, he is somebody who has a bit of a reputation for being a, a deal maker across the aisle. Um, that may draw some ire from folks on the far left. Um, of course, he'll draw some ire from the folks on the right, but I would expect perhaps a little bit more deal making than we've seen in the last few administrations. I would expect um, some perhaps a little bit of bipartisan daylight that comes through. It's going to be hard to get much, but I think we might get a little bit. Um, and I think we're going to see um, for good or ill, right? So some folks listening will think this is a good thing. Some folks listening will think it's a bad thing. But I think we will see a return to the way Washington has traditionally worked, right? So Donald Trump was an unconventional candidate. He was an unconventional president. His rhetoric was un unconventional, and the way he governed was unconventional. And I think folks across the aisle can agree on very little, but they can probably agree that that is, that that is accurate. And I think uh, Joe Biden is going to return us to much more of what we were used to before Donald Trump. Uh, Twitter will be a lot less uh, interesting, um, and I think he will, um, again, kind of have a return to, to Washington normalcy. 
And you have a great point here that things are going to start happening with bipartisan changes. And so right now we have a Senate tie, it seems. However, we have some runoffs at Georgia, which is unexpected for me. Um, what does it mean if the Senate leans red or leans blue? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's critical. Anybody who um, doubts, you know, oh, why does the Senate matter? Um, look, whichever side you are on the Amy Coney Barrett as Supreme Court justice debate, uh, the U.S. Senate is the ones who got to make that determination. So wherever you stand on abortion, if you're pro-life or you're pro-choice, um, the U.S. Senate are the ones who, who push that confirmation through. And so, yes, we have two runoffs, and ironically, they both happen to be in the same state, which is our neighboring state of Georgia, right? You can go on a long bike ride and, and actually hit Georgia here from Cullowee. And the political universe is going to turn their attention to Georgia to try to understand the outcome of these two special elections. Um, I think it's also worth noting that electoral rules, and I realize that kind of a boring thing to talk about, kind of like election administration, but the electoral rules really matter. The fact that Georgia has a runoff rule is the only reason we're still having a conversation about Georgia. If they did not have a runoff, and most states do not, then we would have have this whole Senate thing over with. And interestingly, for the folks more local, uh, those rules are also why Madison Cawthorn is, will be representing us in the United States Congress in the 11th Congressional District. Madison Cawthorn was the second highest vote getter in the first primary. And if North Carolina did not have a runoff rule, we would be talking about uh, member of Congress uh, Linda Bennett, perhaps, or perhaps member of Congress Mo Davis. Um, Madison Cawthorn won the second, but not the first primary in North Carolina. So pay attention to those election rules that are set before elections ever occur. So I have to ask you this, especially as a professor. So you are teaching the future generations of political leaders and political activists. Do you think unity and progress is possible? I do think it's possible. I think we need to turn to structural change. So wherever you sit on the political, which side of the political fence you sit on, if you sit on, if you find yourself saying, hey, we need to compromise more, um, it's not enough to will it to be so. It's not enough to say, let's throw the bums out and get new people in, or let's you know, decide we're going to be bipartisan. The rules we have in place help structure the outcome. And, and again, this, this this runoff rule is why Madison Cawthorn will be our member of Congress from the 11th Congressional District. Um, it's not because anybody wanted it or didn't want it. This is just the rules that we have. And so we have a whole lot of incentives in American politics that, that lead us towards fairly polarized outcomes. And so if we're going to get serious about progress and about working together and about compromise, then we have to change the structure of government and the incentives that politicians have. Well, Dr. Cooper, thank you so much. Is there anything that we haven't covered in this that you feel is important to mention? You know, obviously there were a host of local offices um, in Jackson County and throughout North Carolina and throughout the mm -hmm. country that were on the ballot, and those tend to get um, drowned out by the national conversation, and it's understandable why that's the case. Um, and we're still sorting out exactly what happened in some of these local offices. So definitely as the returns continue to come in, as we certify the election, make sure you check out what's happening in your local municipality, your local county, um, even offices you think may not matter. The Soil and Water Commissioner, uh, things like that, they really do matter. And in some ways, they matter more than things at the top of the ticket. 
Well, you heard it here. This is Dr. Christopher Cooper. He is the department head for the political science and public affairs department here at Western Carolina University. Thank you for talking about the election with us. Yeah, thanks for your time. And of course, thank you for listening to WWCU. My name is Lyndon Jones, and this was a program about the 2020 election. Of course, nothing is set in stone, but as of now, we have President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who made a lot of history. We also had some very important local elections happen here in Jackson County, and in our neighboring state of Georgia, we see a runoff, which is something that does not happen in every state and is critical. Thank you for listening. And of course, we are Western Carolina University.